and welcome to another Scots Whehe podcast. And today I'm joined by filmmaker Anthony Baxter to discuss his film Flint, which is going to be on BBC Scotland uh, this Tuesday at 10pm and then available on iPlayer after that. Hello, Anthony. Hi, Ali. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, a pleasure. And, um, well, I guess the first question is, how would you describe Flint as a film? Well, it's a bit of a monumental film in some respects because it covers such a a deep, uh, dramatic story over a long period of time. Uh, I first arrived in Flint in 2015, and I uh, went there by chance. I had been in Detroit and showing a film I had previously made, and somebody at that screening said to me, you should come through to Flint and do something on the water here because the film I was screening was a dangerous game, which featured, amongst other things, water as an issue. And I went through to Flint and was really appalled by what I saw. Uh, local residents at that stage were jumping up and down to the authorities saying, you're not doing anything about this uh, water situation. We've got uh, undrinkable water. And this had all happened since Flint had switched its water supply, uh, been forced to do so by the governor of the state. And they were in an absolute uh, terrible predicament because the authorities were not listening to them. It reminded me uh, later in, in, in 2017 when the Grenfell Tower uh, disaster happened. Mm-hmm. It reminded me a bit of that where residents were uh, really vocal about the issue and nobody was listening to them at all. And that was all before this story became a massive worldwide news story. Uh, The local residents were about to, at that stage when I arrived, uh, bring in a professor from Virginia Tech University who was going to oversee their own water testing because, as I say, the authorities weren't listening to them and they felt very keenly that they had to do it. So it, it spans, the film spans that start right the way through until after the cameras left and all of that period of time. So it's a, it's, it's a period of about four to five years of filming and a, a, a real epic uh, job, really, to do as a, a filmmaker, to be in a, a story and immersed in a story for that amount of time. Before we get into the kind of um, incidents in the film, we should say that I saw this at the Glasgow Film Festival when you were over to kind of do a talk on it and there, and what a different world that seems like. You know, even so recently, that would have been February, I think, February, March. Yes, yes, Uh, exactly. That's right. I mean, I remember being there in Glasgow and, of course, at that stage, COVID-19 was a story in China and seemed to be spreading around the world. Nobody really knew where it was all going to end up, of course, at that stage. There were 400 people in that cinema. It was sold out. And for me, it, it, it really, uh, I think for most of the people there, it was the last time anybody got together closely in a social situation. I mean, hard to believe at the time, but you're right, Ali. It, it just, ever since that screening, things spiraled downhill, didn't they? Yeah, very, very quickly, yeah. And it made me think, how difficult has it been with COVID and lockdown? 
when you've got a new film out? How is it, you know, to get it out there? And I presume you probably had other festivals lined up and things like that. It's been very frustrating, there's no question. I mean, after Glasgow, I flew out to the United States and I got to New York and we were going to be doing a screening at the National Geographic Theatre in Washington, D.C., uh, with a number of Flint residents invited who were going to come, Professor Edwards from Virginia Tech University, the professor I was just talking about, and other uh, dignitaries from D.C. It was the start of what we'd planned to really try and put Flint back on the agenda in the United States, uh, especially ahead of the election. And so we had Washington, D.C., we had Detroit, we had Flint itself, Traverse City, San Francisco, uh, all over the country, Minneapolis, another city we were supposed to be screening the film at, and then back here in Britain at Sheffield Dock Fest and other uh, European festivals. Uh, but all, of course, were then made to be virtual events, which you try and make the best of them in the best way that you can, but it is not the same. I mean, having in, for example, in Lansing, the state capital of Michigan, we had planned to bus in two busloads of Flint residents for free um, in in cooperation with the festival who'd organised this brilliantly. The new governor of the state was going to come, Dr. Mona Hanna-Ratisha, the paediatrician who first cast a, a spotlight on the high levels of lead in children in Flint. She was going to attend. And with ha having all those people present would have been a, a wonderful opportunity to really put the issue of Flint back on the news agenda. And it is very, very difficult to for an independent, small independent film to push through uh, without that kind of opportunity. And we've seen, I think, I think at the beginning of this whole crisis, people were thinking, well, let's see, you know, maybe virtual festivals will be a significant event. Maybe they'll have their own, um, uh, you know, th th their own uh, traction and reviewers will review the films and people will come and watch them online all the same. It just hasn't happened in my experience. I mean, they have to some degree at some festivals been more successful than others. I mean, at Sheffield, we had a, a really good response from people um, online, but it's really, really difficult to push through. Um, going back to, to Flint, the kind of background to Flint itself was something which was really interesting because it's in Michigan, so it's kind of in the Great Lakes area, and they've yeah. previously been getting their water from... Lake Huron, I believe. That's right. And, and the town itself had once been an incredibly prosperous town. It was the centre for um, General Motors. Was that right, General Motors? That's right, yes, yes, yeah. and Chevrolet and the, the, the motor manufacturing uh, capital alongside Detroit of the United States. I mean, an extraordinary place, as you say, Ali. I mean, what uh, hits you when you go there, and to Detroit as well, I think, I've always loved Detroit as a city. And one of the fascinations for me has always been the fact that it was built for a much larger population. The roads are, are much wider. Uh, there is a number of streets, of course, all over Flint with abandoned houses and where uh, people have left because the jobs have gone. Mm -hmm. And 
So the infrastructure, and it's one of the issues that led to the, the, the terrible problems of the water, was the infrastructure was built for a, a much larger city. And so now, when there is an issue, as there was with the pipes, so the corrosive river water that, uh, as you say, uh, used to come from Lake Here on their water, it would switch to the Flint River in order to save money. And that corrosive water from the river corroded the lead pipe infrastructure. And if you think of that, huge network of lead pipes all underground uh, across a city that was built for a much larger population. Um, you can see just how terrible that can be and how difficult it is to fix. And of course, as you know, I'm sure we'll get on to, the residents of Flint don't believe the situation has been fixed. One of the things that they, they asked for right from the start was for all the pipes to be ripped out of the ground and replaced. And although uh, the mayor, Karen Weaver, at the time did her best, I think, to try and get that action plan in place, only a fraction of the pipes were actually replaced. And <clears throat> most of them are small, small sections of pipe that run from the mains into people's houses. So it's been a really, really difficult thing to to, to, to watch in a city where the jobs have already gone, as you say, it's, it's, it, it has per capita the highest murder rate of any city in the United States. It's one of the poorest, uh, poorest cities in America. And, um, disproportionately, of course, uh, it, it, it affects the African American community because that is the, the largest community in the city just, uh, by percentage. And, Yet again, you know, they haven't gone through so much. And as we've seen with the Black Lives Matter and the spotlight being thrown on the injustices across America, you know, how terrible an ordeal it has been for that city and how the people have shown this huge resilience right across um, the, 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 the whole of um, the, the city showing just how resilient they are against this terrible, terrible situation. But it, it is something that we don't really know the full impact from because the children who consume that lead, particularly you know, people of all ages, of course, but the children are the, the ones I, I focused on perhaps more uh, so, we don't know the full impact that this is going to have over the course of their lives because it hasn't played out yet. Um. Because you mentioned the, the lead there, just to let uh, listeners know, the switch to the river, um, the river isn't just a dirty river or something like that. It's got regularly bodies are being pulled out. There's car parts. There's, you know, you see there's a shot of film. The idea of just to look at it, that you think this is okay to drink or wash or do anything with, mm. just seems astonishing. But, you know, I think the, the, the poverty is at the heart of the film, it seems to me that people are fighting to have a voice where other people are just not willing to kind of listen. That's right. I mean, I think that is true across the world, isn't it? And it reminds me of, as I say, of the Grenfell Tower situation in London, uh, where people in a, in a, in a poor community setting with, without <laughs> the access to the decision makers, unless they go and, and, and shout loudly and try and get the ear of decision makers, you know, they're just not listened to. And it was really, really frustrating to see this play out over so long, particularly when 
you already had in 2016, it was when the election was, was happening, of course, and Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump all came to Flint and all promised to fix it. Uh, President Obama came in, in one scene in the, in the film. And that was the great hope for the people there, uh, particularly the African-American community, of course, when Obama came. And they felt utterly let down because he, he drinks uh, the water, which by that stage, the scientists are saying is safe to drink. But nobody believes what they're being told because uh, that trust has been completely shattered uh, already. Uh, they've they've been told well, you know, back in 2015 when I was there first in the summer that the water was safe. It certainly was not. It was it had uh, huge uh, levels of lead, uh, toxic waste levels of lead, according to Professor Mark Edwards from Virginia Tech. Uh, but as you say, Ali, it wasn't just the lead. I mean, the river had all kinds of other things in it as well, from dating back to this industrial past of Flint. And nobody really knows yet the full impact of all those other things. People reported hair loss. They reported skin rashes. Uh, they reported sickness generally. Um, the water was brown in, in some cases, not in others. So there wasn't a kind of uniform way of, of, of knowing whether what was coming out of your tap was dangerous to you and your children and your family. Uh, so it, it really was a case of just... <sighs> living each day um, hoping that uh, things would be fixed. And, you know, the, the terrible thing about it, I remember when uh, Governor Rick Snyder, the governor of the time, the Republican governor of Michigan, um, all he seemed to be doing, as far as the people could see, was coming on television and telling them it's safe now and that we're going to send in the National Guard to give you a case of water every, yeah. uh, one case of water per, per day, um, at, at the max, you know, at, at the, at the highest peak of it. But to begin with, it was just a, um, a, even a fraction of that for a family to, to just have a case of water being, to be given to them as a, as a, as a, as a response to an emergency which had uh, thrown the spotlight on Flint for all the wrong reasons around the world uh, was just extraordinary. And so you had this um, outpouring from celebrities, from uh, people right across the country coming to Flint and doing all they could to help. I remember one lorry load of water that was transported by not wealthy people at all from another other part of the country uh, and they had got together as a community pulled in all this water uh, loaded a truck hired a truck themselves driven it to flint and were distributing it and that happened all the time and it, it was so infuriating for the local residents when they then saw the governor coming on saying well it's great that people are doing this this is fantastic to see uh, you know great community response but he was doing very little indeed you know and witness over that period of time yeah, the, the reaction reminded me of the kind of current reaction to food banks in this country. Mm. Often, you know, people say, "Oh, it's great that the community are helping," and you're like, "Well, this should not be happening." Exactly. I mean, you know, it was it was also the case that the federal government in Washington D.C. was expected to uh, help the people because this was an emergency, and was being compared in the media and by so many. Uh, commentators is very similar to what happened with Hurricane Katrina. Uh, but in that case, of course, the federal government did step in. But in Flint, 
none of that was happening. There kept being these excuses used as to why the money wouldn't be coming from uh, the federal government to the local residents. And so all the time they were pinning their hopes really on things like class action lawsuits where uh, lawyers in the city got together to help the residents try and push through to get some kind of compensation for them financially for what had happened. Uh, because uh, not only did they have the um, complete uh, uh, uncertainty of how this was going to play out over a period of time with their children, but they were actually having to pay so much more money for bottled water. And many people in Flint still shower with bottled water. They still don't trust the fact that uh, the water... The, 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 they don't trust the, the, the claim that the water is safe. I, I would drink, I think, the water there now, um, having seen the science, but I completely understand why people wouldn't. Um, but I would certainly not drink it um, out of a w- without a filter. Um, and uh, even then, it would be. <laughs> I would think have to think twice about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I have been in 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 the old cafe or or, or restaurant in Flint drunk drunk uh, filtered water. But if I was going to yeah, stay there, I get bottled water, and and that's people have these elaborate shower systems rigged up in their homes so they can shower with bottled water, and that continues to this day. These are astonishing. It's in the the details are where it really hits home, and I watched it again uh, last night, and oh. um, it's. You know, you've got someone who is saying it takes my family, I think a family of three or four, four hours mm. to power, just simply the logistics of it. Yeah. Um, the one chap at one point goes, this is my empty plastics for a week. And, empties yeah. and it's a huge amount. And even the thing about, you know, nowadays we're seeing um, push of plastic turning up in the water and there you've got the water turning up in all this plastic. You know, it was quite shocking to see. And then, what, and then watching it now um, with the certainly the advice in this country to constantly be washing your hands. And I was thinking for the people in Flint, you know, who have been so traumatised by that very action, that's a horrific thing to have to be told. That's a very good point you just made. Uh, and it's one I think about every day. I mean, the, the fact that um, during the COVID crisis, uh, you know, we're all having to cope with so much more everywhere in the world and one of the basic things that we do uh, you know thank thank ourselves for or at least i do is is being able to turn the tap on and be able to wash our hands whereas in flint you know that is still something a lot of people will not do and so um there is a real fear uh deep-rooted fear of what is coming out of the tap. So not only do they have that to cope with, but they also have, of course, COVID to cope with. And it's had a very dramatic impact in Flint as well. I I was reading about some of the American, African-American pastors who were instrumental in leading their communities through uh, the devastation of the Flint water disaster. Three of them have died from COVID-19. and so you, know, you you feel very very much so that they they just there's no end to the uh impact of of injustices for the people of flint and um all you can do is hope that in the future things will turn out better for people there and i i feel very strongly i want to continue uh documenting really what happens in the future particularly to 
and the children there as well, and the, the children that I followed, like Jalen, um, who is the son of uh, Nakia Wakes, one of the local residents, and he's a, a great little boy who I think has just been so inspirational in his um, in, in the way that he's coped over the mm. over the years. I've been following him with with this whole situation, but it has had a huge impact on him and his learning, and on the learning of so many children in the city because of not only the impact of the lead poisoning itself, but also the fact that the school system in Flint was struggling anyway. And uh, there is, as we've already touched on, so much poverty in the city, and there is very little uh, hope for a lot of people there. And crime rates are are extremely high. It's it's very difficult to uh, get through day by day, with all of that and this water situation ongoing as well. And, I mean, for a while it was a big news story in America. But then at one point one of uh, the people says, well, what happens when the cameras go? And I take it news moves on and they kind of have gone, haven't they? And, and the story is no longer in people's minds as much. That's right. They, they have. I mean, inevitably the, the news agenda moves moves on. Uh I think it struck me at the time how quickly that happened. You had the world's media there for a short window, and particularly when Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton came, and Donald Trump as well. And as soon as that uh, all disappeared, yeah, the, 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 there was very little coverage of the story. And as a filmmaker, it was something that uh, was a real challenge for me because I remember very early on in the in proceedings, you know, when I was first there in 2015, there was quite a lot of interest in the film and the fact that this film was was being made by the usual people that you'd go to for funding a project like this. But as soon as it became a big story, they said these the various broadcasters said, "Well, you know, we're no longer interested because it's been covered." by the news and my argument was always well you know what happens when the cameras leave and the people will this story isn't going to go away um but there was very little interest in following it up so yeah it, it, it's ironic really that uh, of of the uh, people who supported this film you know bbc scotland creative scotland and um not an American broadcaster uh, involved with it at all. And I think that the uh, people who saw the film in Glasgow and certainly, um, you know, we'll see when it's broadcast on BBC Scotland, I think, as as you've touched on already, Annie, people are shocked to see that this is happening in the United States. You tend to think of America having things sorted out in terms of infrastructure and in terms of if something goes wrong, you know, it will be fixed. Uh, and I think yeah, to see that happening in the uh, most uh, the richest country in the world with with so. Uh, little regard, it would seem, from authorities to the residents was was really shocking, and and also to see it just carry on for so long. Yeah, because as you say, it goes on over years and years and years, and you get these powerful testimonies as, from the paediatrician, as you say, just what it's doing to children and what the long term effects of these things are. But yet, you would think, you would hope that there would be immediate help, and just that just hasn't just never has happened yes it, it's it's 
a real failure of of government. And I think one of the things that we talk about um certainly in the film which is is so relevant to audiences everywhere whether you're in flint or or here in scotland or wherever you are in the world is this element of the, this whole business of trust in authority and how it is completely shattered in flint uh but also everywhere really and what do we do when we're in that kind of situation when we cannot trust the people in power who are telling us uh, what is safe and what isn't. So we see it every day here, of course, with coronavirus. We don't know whether what we're being told is true a lot of the time. We feel that statistics are sometimes being manipulated to spin a certain uh, uh, line that the government wants to, to push forward. And it's difficult in that situation to always work out what is fact and what is fiction. And I think for the people of Flint, they've been living that uh, for so long. And I think we have a lot to, to really learn from the way they have dealt with it. Uh, and say so they have an incredibly resilient, incredibly um, uh, just great humanity from the people there. I think the um, perhaps it's because they've been through so much with uh, General Motors, think back to the sit-down strikes and how instrumental Flint was in changing labour laws right across the world. Uh, and uh, they've, they've had so many um, problems to, to face over the years. Uh, but uh, this business of trust and the element of, of who can you trust is, is something which I think is is a is it will resonate with audiences i hope anyway everywhere because of particularly the the situation we all find ourselves in at the moment i mean i think that does really reach its peak in the film with the, the scene that you've mentioned where uh obama turns up and he even says this isn't a stunt i really need a glass of water but it's clearly what you know what's being said here and you can almost feel through the through the screen people being let down and deflated by what they view there. This man who they probably had as, if anyone's going to listen to it, it's going to be Barack Obama. And they are, some of them just almost give up. Yes, I mean, the, the disappointment amongst the uh, community was so striking uh, at that moment because this build-up to Obama's visit was huge. It, had, it, had, it was late in coming. It hadn't, he hadn't arrived when people really wanted him to come. And so when he did arrive in the city, there was a, a huge uh, anticipation because people felt at last, you know, we have an African-American president of the United States. Uh, he will understand what we're going through. Um, and on the one hand, I can understand why he did it. He was trying to show that the water uh, was, according to the scientists he was listening to, safe to drink with a filter. But he, it was the way that it looked and the way that he seemed oblivious to that fact that just was was so striking. And I think that the way the people... Um, saw that on their televisions, you know, who weren't present in the hall where he did drink the water. It was such a shocking moment for them. Um, and that, I think, was uh, something, I think one of the residents says to me, uh, 
at that moment, I lost all faith, all trust in authority because here was Obama, and I thought, wow, you know, even he doesn't understand, you know, what is what we're going through, um, and it, it 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 it's something I think that people will never forget there. Mm-hmm. There's two quite complex characters in the story in terms of the man you mentioned, Mark Edwards and Scott Smith. And it almost seems to me that uh, they typify a lot of current uh, feeling about science. Like you're one who mm-hmm. proclaims, whether you believe him or not, that he is following his scientific findings. And the other one who it's almost a kind of pseudoscience or, you know, it's, it's certainly not backed up with any hard facts. Yes, uh, Scott Smith arrives um, with Mark Ruffalo, the actor Mark Ruffalo, uh, who people know recently, of course, from his um, uh, starring in the film Dark Waters uh, in a a water-related drama. Um, And Mark Ruffalo was one of many um, celebrities who came to Flint uh, early in 2016. And... Mark uh, Ruffalo's organization, his non-profit organization, Water Defense, was telling people very vocally that you're not being told the whole story. There is a lot more in your water than you're being told about. The state is not telling you the truth. And Scott Smith is their chief technology officer, although he had been billed as their chief scientist uh, on numerous occasions by Mark Ruffalo. And he uh, goes on television, Scott Smith, and basically says that he is going to go and test people's homes and discover the truth about what is being hidden in their water. So he does. He goes around, and I follow him in the film, Mm -hmm. going to local residents' houses, and he uh, will carry out these tests and send them to a laboratory, a bona fide laboratory, uh, but um, he, he is not a scientist, uh, but the people don't know that because he's been built as a scientist. So they have absolutely no idea um, about him. And indeed, I certainly didn't, um, you know, when I arrived in Flint and he was there uh, saying he was going to go and test the water. And so I uh, followed him, of course, you know, and and obviously I need to see the film, people that haven't seen it, to, to see what, what transpires. But it was a, an extraordinary twist for me to... Um, it was one of the examples, really, of how the story just kept twisting and turning while I was there. It was very dramatic that you had uh, these kind of events unfolding in front of you um, when the media had left. And in many ways, I would love to have made a series... Uh, rather than a feature documentary, because there is so much material that we weren't able to put in the film, particularly relating to the residents who, um, you know, were were in this ongoing predicament for so, so long. And I followed them all over the, the place. I mean, one family to Washington, D.C., um, trying to get answers from the uh, federal government about what they were going to do. Uh, and... It, it it's very moving to 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 be in touch with the residents still we've i have done we talked about the film festivals earlier i have done some virtual uh, panels with 
Mama Sol, the hip hop artist who's in the film, uh, who's a mother herself, and uh, she uh, is still living in Flint, and Nakia Wakes and her son Jalen as well. And what is so powerful for me is when I hear them say that things have not changed and things have not been fixed, and it is still uh, a terrible situation for them in Flint. Um, and I want to be there. I want to go and uh, uh, talk to them and, and, and be in a room, show the film with them and, and listen to their stories and their um, situation now, because... I find it extraordinary that after all of the coverage that Flint has had, all the uh, words that have been written in newspapers across the world, the celebrities who have flown in, the concerts that have been staged, the songs that have been written, that still this is such a massive issue for the local residents and that their voices are not being listened to still. Um, is a real travesty and a reflection, I think, on how poor we move on from stories and how quickly we do without remembering uh, the, the residents and what they're going through, and, and particularly uh, the children who are facing this ongoing struggle there day by day with their learning because of this terrible situation that was not of their making and how little has been done to help them. Um, I guess it's a story that many, um, or a question that many documentary makers have to ask themselves is what is your responsibility to the people who you have filmed? And it's clear that mm. you feel you do have some responsibility there. Well, it, it's, it's a responsibility, I suppose, of the trust that they put in me to tell their stories and the feeling that that doesn't end when the film is broadcast or completed, that it is it, it is an important thing, I think. It's like with the many estate and the residents of the many estate in, in Aberdeenshire, you know, who are the focus of my Trump documentaries. I'm still very much in touch with those people, those residents. Uh, and I feel that you make these very close bonds with people. Um, and I was, a, a, of course, a, a sort of a, somewhat of a... Uh, novelty, I suppose, as somebody who was not from the area, not from Flint, not from uh, the United States of America, coming in and following people, uh, and, and and they would ask me quite legitimately, yeah, why why are you interested in doing this, or yeah, what's your motivation for for doing this? And it was really because I felt really strongly about what they were going through. Um, and it did seem to me as well to to be a natural progression of of the stories that I've covered here, and it, it is strange how with um, and the Trump story in Aberdeenshire, the, the the elderly lady Molly Forbes, whose water was cut off uh, for for so many years, um, you know, she went through so much with that, and and so I had an experience, really, if you will, of of even on a very small scale of of what impact you know th this this water situation can have and so they um put their trust in me and i think it's an important thing to follow through on and of course we're all busy we all move on we all change tag and we all you know as filmmakers we make other films and move on to other projects but i think it's really important to uh stay in touch with those people and and to follow up and as i say i hope one day before too long to go out there and also to 
follow up in terms of a film as well what is happening to those children in in, in the years that, that the years ahead i mean in, in some ways it couldn't be a more timely film because it does look at the kind of mental toll and anxiety created by in a public health crisis which we have mm. now got a global public health crisis if you like yeah and it it makes it should make people keenly aware that uh, this will uh, affect people in all sorts of ways yes i mean i think it uh it, it it is timely, I think, and that's something that has been you know, noticed by some of the the people who have watched it. Um, <clears throat> it does hit on a number of issues that are so current, and although it could be you're in a community where you can rely on the water, I think all of us, as we've touched on, uh, have this fatigue when it comes to trust in politics and trust in uh, people in power and authority. And the science of it all um, <clears throat> is so difficult as a layperson to get your head around sometimes. You can be blinded by uh, figures and statistics. And I think for the local residents, when they were told uh, by Scott Smith, the uh, the uh, chief technology officer for water defense, that you know, there was more uh, wrong with their water than perhaps they, they had uh, been aware of and he would hand them these reams and reams of paper with everything that was in their water and you know you're picking that up that pile of papers what are you to make of it how do you decipher yeah. that information how do you know that that uh information is 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 going to be harmful to you yeah. and it's really really diff difficult for people to manip to to navigate all of that uh, so yeah, it is a it is a timely story, I think, and and one that will I, I hope resonate with people right across this country and beyond. And as we said at the beginning, it's going to be on BBC Scotland at ten o'clock this Tuesday, and of course available on iPlayer uh, much long after that. So I hope people do watch it for that reason. You mentioned your Trump documentary. Um, you've been trumped. That was in two thousand and eleven, I think. Was that right back? That's right, the first one, and then there were two others following that. There was a dangerous game in 2014, and then You've Been Trump 2 in 2016, which we only released this year after a four-year battle to get it out and get it more widely watched. So, and how do you view what's happened to uh, your subject in all these years? You couldn't, when you did the first one, you couldn't have seen what was coming. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, f fact is stranger than fiction, and and certainly in this case that was true, wasn't it? I mean, Donald Trump talked on numerous occasions that he was going to potentially run as president of the United States, and people uh, saw him uh, then negotiate a new uh, contract with NBC to present The Apprentice, and it was all seen as a bit of a stunt. Uh, <clears throat> but then, of course, he did run and won the election, and... It uh, is still something that I think people pinch themselves <laughs> to think, has this four years really happened? Um, for the people of the many estates who were the first in the world to call Trump out as a liar uh, and to, to predict the impact that uh, he would have on the world if he ever became president of the United States, it is a, an extraordinary um, tribute to their... Um, foresight yeah. to see how things would 
would unfold. Uh, there they were as unlikely environmentalists standing up for their community. And uh, here was Trump coming in saying that he was going to create all of this wealth and, f and fortune for the area. And nothing could have been further from the truth and reality. So the, and that's borne out by the statistics. It's made big losses and employs a very small number of people. And so that extraordinary twist in the story is one of the things I think that that particular story will never really uh, go away. And in fact, I'm involved with a, a drama production, which is going to be telling that story in dramatic form. Uh, and it's an example, really, of uh, the longevity of that and power of that story, because it's uh, very true to say that those people were in a David and Goliath battle, and in many ways, the people of Flint were as well, because they were battling people in power and authority and feeling that their voices weren't being heard. So there is a kind of common denominator there, really. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Anthony, thank you so much uh, for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you, Ali. No, thanks very much for having me. And thanks for your interest in the film. And I hope that people here in Scotland be able to watch it and why well, I, I hope so because well. it's a great film in fact it, you were, at times you were saying about how uh, these different characters it almost felt like a drama that maybe you know directed by David Fincher or something <laughs> you don't know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy and who's all twist so uh, it really is uh, a fantastic film oh uh, thank you it's very kind of you to say I really appreciate it thanks very much for your interest now and also back then as well you know when we were talking before the festival and i was very keen to speak to you because you know i felt it would it would it would but then at the time as we know we just didn't really know how people were going to see it for a while so it's great now that people can and it's actually you know i'm very grateful to bbc scotland for showing faith in it because because it, it is you know unusual to have a film that is not about Scotland of that length shown for the first time on the BBC Scotland channel. And I, I take my hat off to them for doing it, you know, because it, it, it's, it's tremendously supportive to me and also, but it's also great for people here to be able to watch it. Mm -hmm.